0: Section Two of Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin, translated by Henry Spalding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Canto the First: The Spleen, Part Two. Twenty-six. In my young days of wild delight, on balls I madly used to dote, fond declarations they invite, or the delivery of a note. So hearken, every worthy spouse, I would your vigilance arouse, attentive be unto my rhymes, and do precautions take betimes. Ye mothers also, caution use, upon your daughters keep an eye, employ your glasses constantly, for otherwise God only knows, I lift a warning voice because I long have ceased to offend the laws. twenty seven alas life's hours which swiftly fly i've wasted in amusements vain but were it not immoral i should dearly like to dance again i love its furious delight the crowd of merriment and light the ladies their fantastic dress also their feet yet ne'er less scarcely in russia can ye find three pairs of handsome female feet ah I still struggle to forget a pair, though desolate my mind, their memory lingers still and seems to agitate me in my dreams. Twenty eight. When, where, and in what desert land, madman, wilt thou from memory raise those feet? Alas, on what far strand do ye of spring the blossoms graze? Lapped in your eastern luxury, No trace ye left in passing by Upon the dreary northern snows, But better loved the soft repose Of splendid carpets richly wrought. I once forgot for your sweet cause The thirst for fame and man's applause, My country and an exile's lot. My joy in youth was fleeting E'en as your light footprints on the green. Twenty nine diana's bosom flora's cheeks are admirable my dear friend but ye terpsichore bespeaks charms more endearing in the end for promises her feet reveal of untold gain she must conceal their privileged allurements fire a hidden train of wild desire i love them oh my dear elvine beneath the tablecloth of white in winter on the fender bright in springtime on the meadow's green, upon the ballroom's glassy floor, or by the ocean's rocky shore. 30. Beside the stormy sea one day I envied sore the billows tall, which rushed in eager dense array enamoured at her feet to fall. How like the billow I desired to kiss the feet which I admired! No! Never in the early blaze of fiery use untutored days, So ardently did I desire a young armida's lips to press, Her cheeks of rosy loveliness, or bosom full of languid fire. A gust of passion never tore my spirit with such pangs before. 31. Another time, so willed it fate, Immersed in secret thought I stand and grasp a stirrup fortunate. Her foot was in my other hand. Again imagination blazed. The contact of the foot I raised rekindled in my withered heart the fires of passion and its smart. Away and cease to ring their praise, for ever with thy tattling lyre the proud ones are not worth the fire of passion they so often raise. The words and looks of charmers sweet Are oft deceptive, like their feet. 32. Where's Onegin? Half asleep, straight from the ball to bed he goes, Whilst Petersburg from slumber deep The drum already doth arouse. The shopman and the pedlar rise, And to the burst the cabman plies. The Octenka with pitcher speeds, Crunching the morning snow she treads morning awakes with joyous sound the shutters open to the skies in column blue the smoke doth rise the german baker looks around his shop a nightcap on his head and pauses oft to serve out bread thirty three by turning morning into night tired by the ball's incessant noise the votary of vain delight sleep in the shadowy couch enjoys, late in the afternoon to rise, when the same life before him lies till morn, life uniform but gay, to-morrow, just like yesterday. But was our friend Eugene content, free in the bosom of his spring, amidst successes flattering a pleasure's daily bandishment, or vainly mid-luxurious fare was he in health or void of care? 34 even so his passion soon abated hateful the hollow world became nor long his mind was agitated by love's inevitable flame for treachery had done its worst friendship and friends he likewise cursed because he could not gormandize daily beefsteaks and Strasbourg pies and irrigate them with champagne no slander viciously could spread whene'er he had an aching head, and though a plucky scatterbrain, he finally lost all delight in bullets, sabres, and in fight. 35 His malady, whose cause I ween it now to investigate is time, was nothing but the British spleen transported to our Russian clime. It gradually possessed his mind. Though, God be praised, he ne'er designed to slay himself with blade or ball, Indifferent he became to all. And like child Harold, gloomily he to the festival repairs, Nor Boston, nor the world's affairs, nor tender glance, nor amorous sigh, Impressed him in the least degree. Callous to all he seemed to be. 36. Ye miracles of courtly grace, he left you first. And I must own the manners of the highest class have latterly vexatious grown. And though perchance a lady may discourse on Bentham, or of say, yet as a rule, their talk I call harmless, but quite nonsensical, then they're so innocent of vice, so full of piety, correct, so prudent, and so circumspect, stately, devoid of prejudice, so inaccessible to men. Their looks alone produced the spleen. 37. And you, my youthful damsel's fair, Whom latterly one often meets Urging your droshkies swift as air Along St. Petersburg's paved streets, From you, too, Eugene took flight, Abandoning insane delight, And isolated from all men, Yawning betook him to a pen. He thought to write, but labour long inspired him with disgust, and so naught from his pen did ever flow, and thus he never fell among that vicious set, whom I don't blame, because a member I became. 38. Once more to idleness consigned, he felt the laudable desire, from mere vacuity of mind, the wit of others to acquire. A case of books he doth obtain, he reads at random reads in vain, this nonsense, that dishonest seems, this wicked, that absurd, he deems. All are constrained, and fetters bare, antiquity no pleasures gave, the moderns of the ancients rave. Books he abandoned like the fair, his bookshelf instantly doth drape with taffety instead of crape. Thirty nine. HAVING ABJURED THE HAUNTS OF MEN, LIKE HIM RENOUNCING VANITY, HIS FRIENDSHIP I ACQUIRED JUST THEN. HIS CHARACTER ATTRACTED ME. AN INNATE LOVE OF MEDITATION, ORIGINAL IMAGINATION, A COOL SAGACIOUS MIND HE HAD, I WAS INCENSED, AND HE WAS SAD. BOTH WERE OF PASSION SATIATE, AND BOTH OF DULL EXISTENCE TIRED, EXTINCT THE FLAME WHICH ONCE HAD FIRED both were expectant of the hate with which blind fortune oft betrays the very morning of our days 40 he who hath lived and living thinks must even despise his kind at last he who hath suffered oft-times shrinks from shades of the relentless past no fond illusions live to soothe but memory like a serpent's tooth with late remembrance gnaws and stings. All this in many cases brings a charm with it in conversation. Onegian's speeches I abhorred at first, but soon became inured to the sarcastic observation, to witticism and taunts half vicious, and gloomy epigrams malicious. 41. How oft! when, on a summer night, transparent o'er the neva beamed the firmament in mellow light, and when the watery mirror gleamed no more with pale Diana's rays, we called to mind our youthful days, the days of love and of romance. Then would we muse as in a trance, impressionable for an hour, and breathe the balmy breath of night. And like the prisoners, our delight, Who for the green wood quits his tower, As on the rapid wings of thought, The early days of life we sought. 42. Absorbed in melancholy mood, And o'er the granite coping bent, Onegin meditative stood, E'en as the poet says he lent. Tis silent all. Alone the cries of the night sentinels arise, And from the milionia afar the sudden rattling of a car. Lo, on the sleeping river borne A boat with splashing oar floats by, And now we hear delightedly a jolly song and distant horn. But sweeter in a midnight dream, Torquato's tasso's strains I deem. 43 ye billows of blue hadrias see o brenta once more we shall meet and inspiration firing me your magic voices i shall greet whose tones apollo's sons inspire and after albion's proud lyre possess my love and sympathy the nights of golden italy i'll pass beneath the firmament hid in the gondola's dark shade alone with my venetian maid now talkative, now reticent. From her my lip shall learn the tongue of love, which Wilhelm Petrarch sung. 44. When will my hour of freedom come? Time, I invoke thee. Favouring gales, Awaiting on the shore I roam, And beckon to the passing sails, Upon the highway of the sea When shall I wing my passage free On waves by tempest curdled o'er? Tis time to quit this weary shore, So uncongenial to my mind, To dream upon the sunny strand Of Africa, ancestral land, Of dreary Russia left behind, Wherein I felt love's fatal dart, Wherein I buried left my heart. 45. Eugene designed with me to start and visit many a foreign clime, but fortune cast our lots apart for a protracted space of time. Just at that time his father died, and soon Onegin's door beside of creditors a hungry rout their claims and explanations shout. But Eugene, hating litigation, and with his lot in life content, to a surrender gave consent, seeing in this no deprivation, or counting on his uncle's death, and what the old man might bequeath. 46. And in reality one day the steward sent a note to tell how sick to death his uncle lay, and wished him to say farewell. Having this mournful document perused, Eugene in post-chaise went and hastened to his uncle's side, but in his heart dissatisfied. HAVING FOR MONEY'S SAKE ALONE SORROW TO COUNTERFEIT AND WAIL, THUS WE BEGAN OUR LITTLE TALE. BUT, TO HIS UNCLE'S MANSION FLOWN, HE FOUND HIM ON THE TABLE LAID, A DUE WHICH MUST TO EARTH BE PAID. 47. THE COURTYARD FULL OF SERFS HE SEES, AND FROM THE COUNTRY ALL AROUND HAD COME BOTH FRIENDS AND ENEMIES, FUNERAL AMATEURS ABOUND. THE BODY THEY CONSIGNED TO REST, AND THEN MADE merry POPE AND GUEST, WITH SERIOUS AIR THEN WENT AWAY AS MEN WHO MUCH HAD DONE THAT DAY. LO, MY ONEGIN, RURAL LORD, OF MINES AND MEADOWS, WOODS AND LAKES, HE NOW a FULL POSSESSION TAKES. HE, WHO ECONOMY ABHORRED, DELIGHTED MUCH HIS FORMER WAYS TO VARY FOR A FEW BRIEF DAYS forty eight for two whole days it seemed a change to wander through the meadows, still the cool, dark oaken grove to range to listen to the rippling rill. But on the third of grove and mead, he took no more the slightest heed; they made him feel inclined to doze, and the conviction soon arose, and we can in the country dwell though without palaces and streets, carts, balls, routes. Poetries, or fetes, On him spleen mounted sentinel, And like his shadow dogged his life, Or better, like a faithful wife. 49. I was for calm existence made, For rural solitude and dreams. My lyre sings sweeter in the shade, And more imagination teems. On innocent delights I dote, Upon my lake I loved afloat. For law I far nigh to take, And every morning I awake The child of sloth and liberty. I slumber much, a little read, Of fleeting glory take no heed. In former years thus did not I In idleness and tranquil joy The happiest days of life employ. 50. Love, flowers, the country, idleness, and fields my joys have ever been. I like the difference to express between myself and my Eugene, lest the malicious reader or some one or other editor of keen sarcastic intellect here in my portrait should detect, and impiously should declare, to sketch myself that I have tried, like Byron, bard of scorn and pride, as if impossible it were to write of any other elf than one's own fascinating self." 51. Here I remark all poets are love to idealize inclined. I have dreamed many a vision fair, and the recesses of my mind retained the image, though short-lived, which afterwards the muse revived. Thus carelessly I once portrayed mine own ideal, the mountain-maid, the captives of the Salgur shore. But now a question in this wise oft upon friendly lips doth rise, whom doth thy plaintive muse adore? To whom amongst the jealous throng of maids dost thou inscribe thy song? 52. Whose glance reflecting inspiration with tenderness hath recognised thy meditative incantation? Whom hath thy strain immortalised? None! Be my witness, heaven above! The malady of hopeless love I have endured without respite. Happy who thereto can unite poetic transport. They impart a double force unto their song, Who, following Petrarch, move along And ease the tortures of the heart, Perchance they laurels also call. But I, in love, was mute and dull. 53. The muse appeared, when loved passed by, and my dark soul to light was brought. Free, I renewed the idolatry of harmony enshrining thought. I write, and anguish flies away, nor doth my absent pen portray around my stanzas incomplete young ladies' faces and their feet. Extinguished ashes do not blaze. I mourn, but tears I cannot shed. Soon, of the tempest which hath fled, Time will the ravages efface. When that time comes, A poem I'll strive to write in Canto's twenty-five. 54. I've thought well o'er the general plan, The hero's name, too, in advance. Meantime I'll finish whilst I can Canto the first of this romance. I've scanned it with a jealous eye, Discovered much absurdity, but will not modify a tittle. I owe the censorship a little. For journalistic declamation, I yield the fruit of work severe. Go, on the Neva's bank, appear my very latest composition. Enjoy the meed which fame bestows misunderstanding, words, and blows. End of Canto the First.